All right, we are in Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. Verse 24 is where we are. So I'd invite you to open in your copy of God's Word or on your phone or however you're following along. I will put the scripture passages up on the screen for you too. But we're going to dive right in today. All right, we are in Mark chapter 5. We're going to start with uh, the second half of verse 24, actually. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Well, last week we studied the story of Jairus, if you remember, and his journey of faith as Jesus challenges him to choose belief over fear, even in the face of the worst possible news that a parent could receive, that his daughter had died. Jesus challenges this man to choose faith or belief over fear. So this morning what we're going to do is look at those verses that we skipped in that story of Jairus in order to keep the continuity of each story going. We're going to look at this interruption that happens while Jesus and Jairus are traveling back to Jairus' home. Uh, so first of all, Mark tells us at the end of verse 24, if we look at that, the end of that verse uh, together, that there was a great crowd following Jesus that this crowd was literally all about him. He was in the, the middle of it. Uh, they're traveling, but the crowd is all around him, following him. But his focus, Mark's focus, is not on the crowd, but on one very sick woman in the crowd. Because this morning, what we're going to look at is her journey of faith. Because this is where Mark puts his focus, on this one woman in the crowd. And, and this woman is in stark contrast to Jairus. Jairus and this woman are very different. Let me just mention a few ways. First of all, he was a leader in the community and in the synagogue. Most likely he was very wealthy. We talked about this last week and, and we base that both on his position in the community as well as the fact that he had several paid musicians and, and people there to mourn his daughter at her passing. So he was probably very wealthy. Uh, she, uh, by contrast, this woman we'll talk about today, uh, would have been very helpless. She would have been an outcast in the community and in the synagogue, sadly. And, and as Mark tells us, she would have been very poor. 
this is important for us to point out, or important for me to point out, I guess, because of what it teaches us about Jesus. I think the fact that we see these two stories merged together and that Jesus even stops to care for the needs of this woman while he's caring for the needs of a wealthy, well-respected man in the community teaches us something about the heart and the character of Jesus Christ. You know, I just don't want us to miss this. It's important for us to see that Jesus cares for everyone, rich and poor alike. Other, other places in the Gospels we see this. Jesus looked on a rich young man who came to ask him a question, and the Bible tells us that he loved him. He loved the rich young man. Jesus was willing when a Roman centurion, remember Rome is occupying Israel at this time, Rome would be the enemy, right? Israel is under their control in oppression, and a Roman centurion, someone who commanded a hundred soldiers, comes to Christ with a request that he come and heal someone for him. And Jesus gets up and he's going to go into his home. He's going to go with him. Jesus cared about this man of position and power. We have looked at already in Mark's gospel that Christ ate with wealthy tax collectors who had exploited their own people in order to gain wealth, who had sided with the Roman Empire. But the gospels are also full of stories, church, where Jesus has compassion on the poorest of the poor, on people who were outcasts. So so many of his miracles were such that he rescued people who were intense, in intense poverty. And Jesus taught that his followers, don't miss this, Jesus taught that his followers would feed the hungry, clothe the naked, give shelter to those who are in need, and visit the prisoners. I would challenge you, please, if you have a different explanation of Matthew chapter 25, the parable of the sheep and the goats that our Lord tells, and you can explain that to me in any other way than that the very characteristic of someone who is a Christ follower is that they will care for the poor. Uh, Please, after the service, come and explain that to me. I'll just lay down that gauntlet to you and ask you to come up with a different interpretation of that. The characteristic of those who are saved, of those who are sheep in that parable of the sheep and the goats is that they will do those things. They will feed the hungry. They will clothe the naked. They will provide shelter for those who are in need. Here's what I'm trying to say in maybe kind of a long-winded fashion, simply this. Jesus loves the 2% and Jesus loves the 98%. Amen? He loves everyone. If we're going to be like Christ, then we need to learn to do the same. And for each one of us, it may be more difficult to love one category or the other. I have found that it's been a journey for me to learn to love rich people. I I have no problem with homeless people. 
But it's been Christ at work in my heart transforming me by the gospel message that has given me a love for people who are wealthy. And and I think that's important both directions. We need to love the homeless junkie on the street and Jeff Bezos. We do. Mark Cuban, Elon Musk, they need redemption just as much as the killer on death row. Maybe more. Just kidding. Maybe I'm not. Everyone needs redemption. Everyone needs the blood of Jesus Christ shed for them on the cross. Amen? All people. All people. Well, back to the woman in the crowd, because she's who we're talking about today. Mark tells us that this poor woman has a chronic bleeding disorder that made her very unwell physically for many years. She had sought treatment for this condition. She had gone to many different doctors. I'm sure she has tried everything at this point, and their fees had drained all of her financial resources. I, I don't know what her financial status was before this chronic disease in her life came into her life, but we know from the text that at the end of it, she was completely destitute. And sadly, their cures left her worse off than before. She had suffered greatly, is the way that Mark puts it in the text. But then she had began to hear stories about a a new healer, and he had cleansed the leper, so she heard. Uh, He had even touched the leper. And that probably moved her. Uh, A man who was paralyzed had walked. A man with a withered hand was restored. And she began to, maybe for the first time in a long time, hope. Maybe for the first time in a very long time, she began to hope that Jesus could heal her. So on that day, when she saw him, she decided it was time to act. And she approached him from behind, uh, working her way through this massive crowd. Have you ever thought about this? Why does she sneak up on Jesus? Why not do what most people did in this situation who were seeking healing from Christ and, and just come at him from the front and say, hey, Jesus, can you help me here? Like the leper, if, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Or, or maybe the crippled man who had his friends lower him down into, maybe it was even Jesus' house or Peter's house. Why come at him this way? Why sneak up on him? I think there are many possible reasons. I'm, I'm just guessing here. This is all conjecture in my part, what I'm going to say next. But she may have felt ashamed. She would have been considered an outcast in the community because of her illness And so she may have felt ashamed of her condition. She had been treated like an outcast for years, so why wouldn't she feel like one? I mean, is it any surprise when we treat people a certain way? For instance, when we treat people who are returning from the jail or prison system as if they are still committing the crime that sent them to prison years ago, why are we surprised when they can't see themselves in any other way? When we treat people who have struggled with addiction in their lives as if they are still a junkie on a street looking for the next needle and the next high, why are we surprised, church, when they can't see themselves in any other way? 
And so this woman maybe just sees herself as an outcast. It's how she's been treated and she feels ashamed. It may be that she fears being rebuked by Jesus or by his disciples. Others considered her unclean. And he was a rabbi. Rabbis were known for towing the line with the religious order and what people were to do and not to do. And so maybe her fear was that Jesus would reject her or that his disciples wouldn't even let her through to him. Maybe she didn't feel worthy of his time or his attention. But she has to try. I mean, what other hope does she have at this point? Mark is clear about this. She struggled with this for many years. She's exhausted her financial resources. Every treatment she has tried just seems to make her worse and cause her more suffering. And so this is really, I think, her last hope. Maybe she can be healed without being noticed if she approaches him from behind and, and, and just touches him. Maybe if I could just even touch his clothes. He doesn't even have to know it. He doesn't even have to know that I'm here, but maybe I could just brush up against him from behind. And maybe I'll be healed if I do that. Now, this might strike us when we read this. It, it could strike us as being silly. Like, really? Like, that's your plan? You're, you're going to just kind of brush up against him from behind and, and you hope that this is going to bring healing. But... But we need to know that this was a common belief during this time, that miracles could happen in this way by touching the clothing of someone with the power to perform miracles. And so before we laugh at this idea, let's remember our Bible stories. And, and I'll show you a couple of, thing, of passages here, things that are going to happen a little bit later, a few years after this, during the time of the apostles and, and the early church. But but look at this passage in Acts. Luke, who wrote Acts, wrote, and more, than ever, and more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter, right, this is the apostle Peter, he's now one of the disciples, but at this point in church history, he'll be leading the church, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. All. They were all healed. People brought sick people, crippled people, lepers, demonically possessed people, laid them on the streets so that when Peter was walking down the street, if his shadow fell on them, they were healed. The demons were cast out. This is, this is not conjecture, church, if you believe the Bible is true. How many of you believe the Bible's true this morning? Okay, good. So if you believe the Bible, I'm, I'm reassured by that, by the way. If you believe the Bible is true, this is what happened. The shadow of Peter was enough to send demons running. It was enough to heal crippled people, to heal people of leprosy. And so I don't think this lady's out to lunch at all for thinking this. I, I seems kind of reasonable. And, and, and then what, just one more passage in Acts, Luke later on writes, and God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, the Apostle Paul, 
so that even, listen to this, even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin, a piece of cloth that had touched him, they were carried away to sick people and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Wow. I mean, this is, this is power. I wonder why, I mean, I'm just asking a question. I don't have a good answer. But I wonder why we don't see this more today. Is is the problem with God or is the problem with us? I'm going to go with us. I don't know how to drill down on that further, but I, but I think there might be an issue with the church today that we're not seeing this because, well, listen, I've got to clarify something here. I am certainly not talking about those charlatan jokers on television who want to sell you a green cloth that you're going to wipe it over your wallet and $100 bills are going to start jumping out. That's definitely not what we're talking about here. But we're talking about real power, real power to heal, that God does, that God does this miraculous thing in the lives of of people. And why are we not seeing the real thing more today? Maybe we need to pray on that one. Well, this woman who has suffered now for so long and, and spent everything she had with the hope of being cured has one last hope. She has faith that Jesus can heal her. Uh, Dr. Daniel Aiken wrote this about that idea. He said, though hundreds thronged about him, only one woman connected with him in faith. Spiritually and physically desperate, she did the unthinkable and unacceptable. She reached out and touched him, and she did so in faith. She crossed so many lines of appropriateness, what was considered appropriate in the day to reach out and touch Jesus. It's actually very scandalous what she did. But she reached out and touched him from behind. And let's see what happens. What happens after that? Look at, look at verse 29. And immediately, Mark's favorite word, we've talked about it many times, the Greek word euthus. And immediately, the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. She experiences immediate and complete healing. Also, Mark tells us that she knew she was healed. She knew it. She knew that healing had happened within her. So her plan worked. Well, almost. (laughs) Her plan to be healed worked, but look at verse 30. There's a bit more to the story here. Jesus knew it. She didn't only know it, but he knew that healing had happened. And so he perceived in himself, as Mark tells us, that power had gone out from him and immediately turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? I love it. And this isn't the only time of the Gospels, but I love it when Jesus asks questions that when we read it, we think he should already know the answers to. Don't you love that? Followers to having 12 followers. (laughs) And, you know, 19,900 women and children are following him. And Jesus says to his two, and it's like he really, orthodox Christian theology, what God and fully man, amen? So clear that the word of John chapter 1, John chapter 1, 1 is going to write about him, the rest of the God, son of God. He said to Thomas, 
This foundational of our faith has been affirmed. It has been what the church rests on, the deity of Jesus Christ. Witnesses or uh, Christians, they don't believe that he was God, so we cannot have fellowship with those. It's what his followers believe, very clearly, I think. His deity. However, he doesn't seem to know who touched, who touched me. There are times when he sets aside the story that's happening here up and to reveal what she him. And he seems to at times end as well. Well, a large crowd, and they're probably all beware, and they're probably all being touched from time to time. <laughs> right? He was a hugger. He was someone who the woman decides that she had better confess what she had done. So notice that Mark writes, regard centuries later is going to write an entire very familiar idea in our remember but they were even more afraid of the one who calmed but they were even more afraid when jesus conquered legion with the hope of being cured and trembling she falls down before him that has ruined her life ruined her physically ruined her financially and so she falls down, ruined her life, how she had exhausted all of her options. Church, I think we see the tenderness and the love and the compassion of in the stories that we have been studying. Disciples are freaked out. Some kind of live in that fear. In that, and also, Mark doesn't record Jesus saying anything to ease the fears of the death and they're begging Christ to leave. We know no intent of Christ to calm their fears. But this is what I think of fear and trembling. She comes and she falls down in front of him. I mean, we could make the argument, right, that Christ has already helped her in such an incredible But the heart of Jesus causes him to speak. It takes me like 40 minutes to get anything across. Only Jesus can say it in a sentence. He says, he says, daughter, your faith has made you well, restored. But this is what he does. In this brief statement, Jesus tells this woman of her true identity. He explains, first of all, Jesus tells her who she is. He calls her in Greek, Thugit's daughter. Daughter. It's similar, isn't it, to the healing that we read about calls the man technon, son. It's very, very similar. These are terms of affirmation. These are terms of affection and who had been an outcast. He calls her daughter. He says to her, you are not worthless. You have been treated as if you're worthless. You've been treated as if you're an outcast daughter as if you're unclean but I'm telling you you're not you're my daughter you are the daughter of a king what does that by definition make her a princess Jesus calls her a princess I mean can we even imagine what this meant to her the man who she believes had the power to heal her and does, 
I mean, can you even imagine what's going through her mind and heart as far as affection for him? And he says, you're not an outcast. You're not worthless. You're not unclean. You are a princess. I love it. Second, the second thing Jesus does here is he tells her what has happened to her. And this is so important. Don't miss that Jesus says to this daughter that he loves. He explains to her how she was healed. Was it by some magical power? He doesn't let her get off base in her thinking about this. It it wasn't some magical power that when she touched his robe, she tapped into some unknown force. No. He tells her exactly what led to her healing. He says, your faith has made you well. In the Greek, this phrase is hepistosus, so can say. It's your faith has saved you. In his grace, God had comments on this and says, was it Jesus' power that rescued the woman or her own faith? Clearly, it was Jesus' power. This is the channel through which Jesus' power can work. The power, church, comes from God, but it's our vision. Conjuring tricks by some secret power for an amazed but uninvolved audience. He is, though the onlookers don't yet realize this, God's son. Trembling may accompany it is the first sign of that remaking is he tells her what she should do next. He tells her, go in peace. Greek is Arane, Hebrew is shalom, Arane and shalom. You've been restored. Now walk in that. Go in peace and be more. Walk in the healing. Walk, walk in the newness of life that I've given you. Brothers and sisters, if we could get our mind wrapped, the of yesterday is done. The brokenness of early in our life is over. And now we can walk in the newness of life. Amen, church? So how ought we? I think that there's a lesson here we can't miss. And, and, and that's, it really comes from Dr. Wright's um, quote that I read. But I'm going to pull one sentence out of it to, to land us on. And it's this, that faith is the channel through which Jesus' power can work. Faith is the channel through which Jesus' power can work. What if? What if this woman had resigned herself to live in her sickness? What if she had just given up? What if, what if her fear of rejection or failure had kept her home that day and she didn't go out looking for Jesus? What if she got to that moment and she didn't sneak up on him and she just stayed back in the crowd and she let all of her fears win? What if she had chosen fear over faith? What if she had chosen over fear? What if she had chosen fear over her belief that Jesus could save her? What if she had not taken that step of faith that day and reached out to him for salvation? The answer is simple. She would have missed out on the miracle that God wanted to do in her. She would have missed out. Listen, church, there, there are plenty of people in the world who laugh at the idea of faith. Have you noticed that yet? There are plenty of people in this world that laugh at the idea of faith and who ridicule 
people of faith. I don't know about you, but I have absolutely no regrets for reaching out to Jesus Christ in faith. Not a single one. I don't even want to think about who I would be without Christ. Dr. Daniel Aiken. If I can, oh, there we go. Sorry, that's my bad. Back that up to that last slide. Yeah, I can't do it, Terry. <laughs> go ahead and back that up. There you go. Sorry. I'm technologically challenged here, apparently. All right, there we go. Dr. Daniel Aiken writes Hardcore realists who breathe the air of skepticism will always be with us. Do you know some? I do. Hardcore realists who breathe the air of skepticism will always be with us. They will mock our faith in a crucified Jew, ridicule our trust in a God we cannot see. They will laugh at your love for the Savior who has cleansed you of sin's defilement and given you spiritual life by his atoning work on the cross. Nevertheless, church, believe. Regardless of that, believe. Have faith, not faith in faith. That's spiritual nonsense, Dr. Aiken writes. But faith in the omnipotent, sovereign Lord Jesus, whose authority and power are absolute and know no rival. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Worship team, come on up. Jesus, even now, even now, as we have studied this story together, I believe that we can identify with this woman. For if we have turned from our sin and trusted in you, then this too is our story. You have looked on us in love, Christ, and said, son, your faith has saved you. Daughter, your faith has saved you. And we believe that our faith in you, God, is the channel through which your power flows. We are saved by grace, through faith. And so as the people who love you, as people who have reached out to you for salvation, Christ, we say to you, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of salvation for everyone who believes.